praise God. Well, turn me back in your Bibles to the book of Acts and chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And um, pre- preaching a closing, closing sermon from the chapter, from the book of chapter 9. Um, and after this, it's a transition to another, a major point in, in the book of Acts and also in the life of the apostle Peter. Uh, so from chapter 10, uh, there's this significant encounter for the church, for the first church, um, between Peter and, and Cornelius. Um, and, and, and essentially why there's a shift at this point to this, uh, to a focus on Peter. We've just looked, we've looked quite significantly at the life of the Apostle Paul, his conversion, which is one of the most significant um, happenings or acts in the life of the Apostle Paul. Um, uh, but Peter takes a break from Paul after assuring us in the last time we, 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 we read from Acts chapter 9 that Paul was going on from strength to strength in proclaiming the gospel. He takes a break. And there's a shift to Peter. It's also the, he also brings, yeah, it brings us to the, one of the most significant points in Peter's ministry in the early church. But after that, there's also going to be a transition now to a, a kind of a focal emphasis on, on Paul. So first nine or so chapters, you can say, of the book of Acts, there's been a significant emphasis Oh, it's going to go up to the first 12 chapters. Uh, there's been a significant emphasis on Peter. Peter's been the, he's been the, 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 the main figure uh, that Christ has used in building the church. And now that's going to shift to Paul. And I guess the significance in the two figures, if, if explained summarily, is that they both kind of um, embody how the gospel is spreading from its native um, birthplace amongst these this Jewish this Jewish community uh, and it's going to fulfill God's purposes to spread you know to wider the, the wider a wider Jewish community if you want but to the very to the Gentiles and to the end of the earth and both Peter and and Paul play very significant parts in that and they both embody that spread Peter is is a, is, is is he's more uh, equipped to to reach uh, the, the Jewish audience, as it were, and uh, and and the wider maybe um, those who are just on the outskirts of the, of the of Jewish communities. Even though he's going to have a role to play as well in in in, in demonstrating that the gospel is for Gentiles as well. God is going to show him first. God is, is going to show him that in a significant way. But then Paul is really going to pick up the baton from there, and and he's going to have a unique, specific calling to the Gentiles. And in this way, both men serve as instruments to confirm that Christ fulfilled, fulfills, fulfilled, is fulfilling his promise to the church that by his spirit, the gospel will spread to the nations. And um, it's that promise that Christ, uh, it's the promise that Peter and Paul embody in their ministry uh, that we are even living out tonight the spread of the gospel. Um, but before uh, then this closing aspect, if you want, of Peter's ministry, and as Luke reintroduces Peter now to focus on him, he tells us that we find Peter, so the last time we saw Peter a few chapters ago, um, this is like chapter five or so, um, he was, you know, the church was just having to 
was dealing with persecution. They've been persecuted in Jerusalem. And now we find him, there's probably been some, there's been some, that's settled a bit. Um, you know, Christians have had to go, have been dispersed. And, and now there's probably more relative peace. Persecution has died down a bit in, in Jerusalem. But we find then Peter um, still doing ministry and going around the Jewish communities and preaching the gospel. And Luke gives us this account of two miracles that Peter does. Um, these two miracles, two significant miracles, well, one especially is significant. Um, the first is a miracle of, of healing. He heals, um, so you, you see in verse 32 there, heals this man called Aeneas, who's been bedridden, paralyzed for eight years, and um, Peter heals him, um, saying to him, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. So that, the, the healing of this, of this, uh, the, of the paralytic in, in, in verse 32 is the first healing. And then the second, another second miracle, uh, the second miracle is even more significant. It's the, is, is not so much a healing, it's the raising to life of uh, this uh, disciple, this female disciple, Dorcas. Uh, she's, she's raised to life, uh, Dorcas, who had a, a, a good reputation amongst the church, but she, she becomes ill, she dies, and uh, in God's sovereignty, he sees it fit for her to experience, you know, if you want a, a mini resurrection. And these two miracles, I, I think Luke expects us to take, take together and, and to see as um, a reminder that this God continued to move powerfully through the ministry of the apostles. Uh, and you can also see Luke's purpose in the fact that both, at the end of both uh, miracles. The the Peter, sorry, Luke repeats that there was a great turning to the Lord. People were converted because of this. Verse thirty-five and verse forty-two. Because of these miracles, there is like a there, there, there's, there's conversion. People turn to the Lord, and you see ultimately what Luke's aim is. So uh, we look at both of them today. We we'll look at these miracles together, and just a, a few things to. Um, to take note of, um, again, I say it's a it's a transition. It's a passage of it's yeah trans, it's transition. Um, there's a there's a a more major section. There are more major sections coming up now after this, um, but there are just very um, encouraging and comforting things to learn from these two uh, passages. Um, well, the first thing that we we see from these two miracles is that the, the spirit of Jesus Christ uh, continues to be present in the ministry of the apostles. Uh, and so essentially that the spirit of Jesus Christ is at work in his church, right? This is a, a major emphasis of the book of Acts that, you know, as people have said, uh, this, is a, this, this is a good way to illustrate it. People have said that the, the book is wrongly referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. Um, you know, aside from the fact that it's not just the apostles who are acting, although they are, they are primary actors, but I don't think they're far from being the only actors. There are many, many other actors in the book of Acts in that sense. But ultimately, there is, it's more to be clear that Luke wants us to be concerned not with the acts of the apostles, but with the acts of the risen Christ, right? Even though Christ works in very 
in many ways he works through the apostles. But this is a book about how Jesus Christ is at work. And this is Luke trying to tell us, tell the world, tell those who he's, he's addressing that this, this, is, this is not the story of just any other institution. It's not just any other group. This is, a, uh, this is the story of a people who are being led by Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. These are, this is a story about a people who have a living Savior, a living Lord, so that if you join yourself to them, you, may, you can meet with him too. And you meet with not just uh, a historical figure, you meet with a living person, the living Jesus. Um, and so Peter has, sorry, Luke has been concerned to tell us by detailing the experiences and the lives of the apostles that Jesus, although he's invisible to his people, is invis invisible to his people, though cannot be seen by, can, they can't be seen by their, by their physical eyes, he's very, very present. He was very present in the church and his spirit continues to be with the church, and he continues to move among the church. And the unique way, I mean, we've seen this a number of times already at this point in the book of Acts, but there's a unique way in which Luke wants to draw to our attention to it in, in this. And um, particularly because of the nature of the signs and the miracles, not because, I mean, there's a resurrection here, which makes it significant, but not, not, not so much that, but because of the similarities between how Peter carries out his miraculous acts here, how Peter is moved by God's Holy Spirit to work miracles, and how Jesus Christ works some of his miracles. So you can, you can really see almost, you can see, in fact, in one of the miracles, we're going to see that Peter's using almost word for word, um, uh, uh, word for word, the, the, the words of Jesus Christ in carrying out these miracles, right? So you, there, Immediately, our attention is drawn to this, to the fact that this is Jesus Christ at work again. Peter performs miracles, and yet we're to be seeing Christ, we're to be hearing Christ. And so the first miracle in, in verse 32, now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda, found a man named Aeneas bedridden for eight years who was paralyzed. And so verse 34, and Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And if you're familiar with your Gospels, you've, you've, you've probably heard a story like that. You've, 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 you've read of a healing like that, right? And if, we, if, you, if you turn to the book of Mark in chapter 2, uh, you see that Mark tells us, about how Jesus Christ heals one paralytic. And of course, more goes on when Christ heals this paralytic at Capernaum. And it's famously when Christ says, your sins are forgiven and um, demonstrates that he's very God and, and, and but Christ's opponents and enemies are angry. But you know when Jesus Christ finally heals him, Mark 2 verse he, 11, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. So very, very similar ways in which uh, the miracles are carried out. Of course, Peter actually says, Jesus Christ is the one that heals you. As though Peter is saying, the same Jesus who said to the paralytic once, 
uh, you know, rise, take up your bed and go home. The same one who's saying to you, Aeneas, make, rise and make your bed. And the same, same thing with the, the, maybe the even greater miracle, if you want, of raising Dorcas back to life. When Peter is called, and I don't know why the church at this point, the congregation at this point, um, assumed that God wanted to raise this woman back to life. I'm not sure why. Um, it could have been, uh, it could, certainly the spirit of God led them, but it could have been a, a prophetic conviction. But somehow they were sensitive to the fact that God was willing to, this is a miracle that, that could be done. They called Peter without delay. Um, and Peter knelt down and prayed. Right, so verse 40, Peter put them all outside. She's in the upper room. Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turned into the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Again, um, if you're familiar, if you, that, might, that might remind you of another healing, another miracle like that in the Gospels. Uh, the, 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 the raising of, of, of Jairus' daughter in uh, Mark chapter 5. Right, Mark, Mark chapter 5, Jesus Christ, again, is called to uh, the room of someone who has who's died. And the people are weeping. Um, Jesus Christ says, you remember in verse 39, the child is not dead but sleeping. They laughed at him. So verse 40, but he put them all outside, just like Peter does as well. Peter puts the, the wailing and the weeping woman outside. Um, and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And if you think those uh, statements are close, or Talitha kumi and uh, Tabitha kumi, they, they, uh, uh, Tabitha arise, if you, if you, if you think they're, Similar, it's it's because they are literally in, um, in the in the uh, essentially would seem like in the, in the Aramaic translation they, there's there's a letter difference. Um, Jesus Jesus says, "Arise, young child, Talitha kumi." Um, Peter calls Dorcas by her Aramaic name, Tabitha. Arise, Tabitha, arise. It's and it's a letter difference. Again, there's such a similarity that helps us to. It's a reminder that this is Jesus Christ at work. This is, this is the work of Jesus, even though Peter is the instrument. But it's the work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and Peter is, is sensitive to this as well. So as I said, he, he says to the paralyzed man, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And uh, when, it, when it's Dorcas, he, he turns and prays. Right? He, in fact... He knelt down and prayed. I think that, that, that physical depiction is a significant difference because um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant difference. When, when Jesus Christ raises um, the, the young child from the dead, he doesn't, Christ doesn't kneel down and pray like Peter does. Peter is not Jesus. He doesn't have the same authority. But he calls on Jesus. He calls on his, his Lord Jesus and he, but he then says to Betha, arise. So it's, it's, it's the reminder that Jesus is still present in the church. And, 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 and for them, it was, it was the reminder that Jesus Christ was, was moving through the apostles at this point, the same way he moves. Christ is living. He's, he's among um, his church. 
And I think, now there is some distinguishing to be made. I think when you read the New Testament, this, these kind of things are called the signs of an apostle. Right? So, 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 so that's what the Bible refers to. There's, there's the signs of an apostle. You take that statement, 1 Corinthians 2, for example, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, that can speak of the signs of an apostle, and you compare it with uh, even how Luke is making the point. Luke is telling us what Peter did. He's not telling us, by the way, and this, I don't think this is, um, this is being uh, restrictive at all. I don't think this, is, this is, is, is putting things into Luke's head or whatever. Um, he's not telling us that every Christian was doing this. He, he, he tells us about, and this is how it goes right through the book of Acts. It's not, it's not an idea that every Christian was called to perform these miracles. Or that these were the norm for all Christians to do. Or for, and when I say all Christians, I'm not talking about a difference between super or super Christians and lesser Christians. It wasn't all the ministers. It wasn't all the elders. It wasn't all the faithful that were doing these miracles. There was only a, there was a certain few, particularly the apostles, who were picked, who were called to show that Jesus Christ was building his church in the marked way that he was. So, 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 again, I don't think it's a fair reading of these texts to suggest that what they impose upon us is some kind of commission to go and do the same, to necessarily go and raise the dead, to think that we can command paralyzed folks so that we ought to in the same way. These were unique signs. And if they are the norm, they no longer are signs. If they're just meant to be the norm and routine, neither are they signs of the apostle. This, 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 these weren't signs that followed Christians, simply. They were signs that followed these apostolic figures, these unique figures in the life of the church. Right? We bear that in mind. And so we don't make the argument that because Jesus is among us... Um, we're necessarily going to function the same way the apostles did. I don't know that any Christians who are thinking clearly ever do, that we're going to function the same way as the apostles. However, it is true that what the apostles were confessing in doing all of this was that Jesus Christ continues to live in the church today. That although they couldn't see him, they had access to him. And in these signal ways... God determined to show that his, and Jesus Christ is determined to show, I'm alive, I'm with my people, and uh, he's, he's in his church, and he's the, king, he's the king of his church, he's leading his church. When, 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 when Christ says, my church will continue to press on and march on and the gates of hell will not prevail, it's because he's going to go ahead of that church, he'll, he'll be with the church. And where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst. These are the words of Jesus Christ. And these signs and wonders were another way of declaring that Jesus continued to be in his church. And that's what, I, I think that's one particular emphasis for us. That's a particular thing that we learn, that um, Jesus Christ is in his church. He's with us. We, we truly believe that, and we must be convinced of that. We must be convinced that Christ is, continues to be the Lord of his church. Um, he continues to be the final arbiter of what is right and wrong for us. 
He determines what we do, what we pursue. He's among us. Jesus is with us. And we, we have the, all the fear and the awe and the wonder and, the, and, the, and the, the joy and the peace that comes from knowing that Jesus is with his people. Christ is here, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the same way that the apostles, by doing these miraculous acts, wanted to testify to Jesus being with them. They were testifying, can you see that this Jesus is real? Look at how he's moving among us. Look at how he's working. It's the same way we ought also to long to testify to those around us that Jesus is alive. Look how he's moving in our lives. And I think the way the New Testament tells us that we do that is by living lives worthy of the gospel so that if people even uh, do not love your faith or like your faith, they cannot deny the impact of Jesus in our lives. They, they cannot deny the way d Jesus and this belief in this Jesus is transforming this group of people and is making them live counterculturally and is making them live as if they are drawing from a different source, right? Because the spirit of Jesus continues to live in his church, right? And, and, and if we, uh, we don't read these passages and we, we, we think that we then necessarily have the gifts to go and raise the dead, we surely can be convinced that the one who God raised from the dead is with us, right? And the church, that's why the church is a living, living place today. That's why the church is living, because Christ is alive. Otherwise, we're, not, we're, like, we're like any other institution. We're, we're just like any other group. What distinguishes the church from every other organization, every other institution, every other household, every other family in the world is the unique way in which Jesus is with them, is with us when we gather like this, when we give ourselves to the work of the gospel, when we, when we, when we pursue lives of godliness, when we're trying to get to know him, this Jesus is alive and uh, again, Luke testifies to this. See how Jesus was moving. No man can ever raise the dead. Right? No man could, by words, command the sick to be healed. Only Jesus could do that. Right, friends? We, 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 we ought to know that there's things that only Jesus can do. Right? That's, that's, what we, that's what we testify as a church. Come and see. There's things happening here that only Jesus can do. There's grace and strength that only Jesus can give. There's life that only Jesus can give. Come and see. Otherwise, we're like just the world. We, 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 uh, that's why I want to post it. Silver and gold I don't have. What I have, I give on to you. We, we, what we have is things that only Jesus can give. Only Jesus can give. Uh, the spirit of Jesus Christ was in the church. The second thing that you, we learn from the miracles, which is something, again, that has been sh is stressed through the book of Acts. And I think, again, I've said this a number of times, that preaching through the book of Acts, you, you, you start to learn what is applicable to the life of the church. One of the ways, and I hope it's not too simplistic, but one of the ways that you start to learn what is applicable to the church from the book of Acts 
is you, you see those things that are repeated, right? So this is the point I'm making is very early on in the book of Acts, you know, uh, we, t- we told a story about how there was tongues of fire appearing, that kind of phenomenon. And there was a rushing wind in a, in a, in a, in a, among some particular Christians. But you don't have that kind of stuff being repeated regularly enough for you to suggest that it's meant to be repeated regularly in the life of the church, right? Uh, and the same thing, uh, when you see those things that are repeated, you say, these are things that can be, we, 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 perhaps we ought to seek and expect to be um, uh, practice or things that we can long for as a church. And this is the second thing here is just the power of God, the power of God in the church, right? What you have here is a display of God's power. God puts his power forth. Men and women come to see, to know him, right? As I said, both those um, passages close with statements to the effect that people turn to God. Why? Because God, God demonstrated his power. And in these ways that God did it through his unique messengers, through the apostles, um, it was ultimately doing that. Here is the God who can heal just with words. He brings life just from words. Only God can do that. Only a holy God can do that. And God is powerful. His words form life. And also, this is the God who raises the dead. This is God. He has, in, in the reversal of death, there's this demonstration that God has infinite power. God has uh, unending power. God has unstoppable power. The power of God, right? Um, the, the book of Acts calls Christians, calls us to question, do we believe in God's power? Do you believe? Do you know that God is powerful? Do you believe in a miracle-working God, and a God that does great and mighty things? That the name of Jesus may be praised. That's who this God is. He was doing, he was, is a demonstration of power. Our God is powerful. Life, resurrecting power. Especially when it comes to the matter of the gospel. These are gospel agents. These gospel agents, and as they pursue the, uh, as they pursue the spread of the gospel, as they pursue uh, the, the, the fame of the gospel, God backs them with power. And the book of Acts is a rebuke to us, a warning to us that a powerless Christianity, a Christianity that is not both depending on and demonstrating the power of God is not a Christianity at all. And we must humbly and fearfully ask, do we expect God to put forth his power? Are we doing gospel work in the power of God? Do we pray like it? Remember, when Peter wants to see, again, I don't understand all the dynamics of that. I don't know how Peter knows that Dorcas's situation allows that there will be resurrection. I don't know who tells, told him that, but he's sensitive to that, that, that God can raise the dead. But remember, Peter, he knelt down and prayed. Do we have that posture? 
Um, do we have that posture in, in, in our church, in our commitment to gospel work? Do we feel like we know that to, to do the work of God requires the power of God? You know, he, he knelt down and prayed. Obviously, you don't have to kneel when you pray, but you know what? Kneeling, kneeling is the, that, that posture of, of dependency, of having, of, 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 of feeling helpless apart from God, of, of, of being in a position where you cannot stand until someone raises you up. I'm going to kneel down before you, oh God, because I need you. And, oh, friends, I, I wonder if we, is that, is that our, is that the dynamic? Is that how we approach the life of the gospel? Is that how we pr- approach the work of the gospel? Is that how we approach ministry? Is that how we approach the church? When we have, um, when we have a ministry to, to fulfill, when we have a task to execute for the glory of God, do we, do we, do we approach it with a certain desperation because we need the power of God? Or do we feel like we can do it in our own strength? Do we feel like it's easy? Do we feel like we've mastered it, like we know the way out? It's, 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 uh, it's, it, it will, I'm sure it will surprise us just how many things we do in the life of the church that we really haven't soaked, if you want, in prayer. Just how many things that we, we give ourselves to, how many um, ideas, the ambition, how many things we throw ourselves into but we haven't knelt down in prayer. We haven't knelt down. We haven't knelt down and prayed. And um, it's because we, 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 there's this foolish sense of self-sufficiency. And then we're surprised when things crumble. We're surprised when things have no, there's no effectiveness. But this is a warning to us or a reminder to us that in God's church there is power. And just to follow Peter's example, that very often that power must be uh, drawn through praying. We ask God to give us power for, energy for, strength for. We pray, we pray, we, we, we soak things in prayer. Um, and and it's, it's a call also for us to uh, involve ourselves in in. In gospel ministry, because we're convinced that God will, God has power. I, I imagine that one of the reasons, and this is a, a convicting thing to think, one of the reasons why we never, uh, we, we, we don't have a lot of testimony about God's power, if we don't, is because we're not involved and engaged in a lot of, of gospel work. You know, we're not, we, maybe we don't have souls that we are faithfully praying for on a regular basis. We don't have endeavors, works, missionary endeavors, um, and just w- things that we're praying for and asking God to, uh, to show us his power. We're, we're not often seeing strongholds, you know, places where Satan is running riot and, and, and he's holding men and women captive and he's blinded them and he's confusing them. I mean, there's, there's no way through apart from just get down on our knees and pray and say, God, show your power. We're not often, we're not in positions enough where we don't feel like we have the right words to say. All we have is the gospel, though. The words of the God, that's all we can say. But we're not as eloquent. We're not as efficient with our words. We're not as, uh, uh, we're not as articulate as the person we, 
We're different, not as knowledgeable, and all we have is God. Only, only God can come and, and give power. We're not enough in, the, in those positions enough. And so maybe that's why we're not also, we're, we're not uh, in, in, in position that, that Peter is in. But we're not standing in those positions enough, so we don't know what it's like to, to be in a position of kneeling and praying, saying, God, show your power. And not just that, we're not seeing it. We're not, we, we don't have enough testimony of how God opens doors, how God softens hearts, how God transforms, how God gives life. And, uh, and so, so this is the other thing that I think we, we learn from this is how God is committed to demonstrating his power in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God. That, that's what Peter is, um, is embodying in this point. And the last thing, the third thing, is the salvation of Jesus Christ. The salvation of Jesus Christ. You know, the, uh, the, the Greek word for salvation sometimes can be translated to mean, it can also mean, uh, at least one of the Greek words for salvation that we, one of the Greek words that we have translated as salvation in our English versions can also mean kind of like healing, can mean heal, to heal, you know, because salvation is about wholeness, wholeness, so that's why uh, Peter says, by his stripes you were healed, healed there is a language of salvation, language of salvation, and um, in the destruction, in the temporal, in this highlight of the destruction of sin, of disease, sorry, of disease and death that we see in these passages, our hearts are drawn to believe. Believe the salvation, the promise, salvation of Jesus Christ. These agents these examples, these instruments of God and the apostles, like Peter, they're brought into these situations. Peter is brought into this situation with a Dorcas, where he's called to raise her from the dead because he's an instrument to speak to the church about God's promised salvation. Jesus Christ is with his church and puts forth his power to save us to the end. We get where we're called to rejoice and to hope and to believe in the salvation of Jesus Christ. As I've said, I don't think that the point of the account here is to set an example for us to claim that we can necessarily go and do these things in the church today. I don't think that we're meant to read this and be commissioned to think that we can go and raise the dead. I remember a number of years ago, not, not, not too long ago at all, I think less than, than three years ago, um, or maybe about three years ago, um, there's, a, there's a church in the United States, Bethel Church, Bethel Church, and Bethel Church is, is not, I, I mention the name only because it's not a fringe movement, it's a well-known church, I know Bethel Churches are, are prominent in like uh, contemporary worship songs and stuff, so this, this is not like a little sect, a cult, but someone, two of their leaders, I think it was, Two other members lost a, a, a toddler, um, two-year-old, and um, what, when 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 that happened, they decided that they, they was they felt that God desired to raise 
um, this child from the dead. And so, you know, they rather than um, proceed with, bur- you know, with, with plans for the burial or whatever, they, they gave themselves as a church to, to pray. And they, you know, put it, this stuff was put out on social media. And for a number of days, I'm not sure if it was a week entirely, but I know a few days, prayers were made for this child to be raised from the dead. You know, yeah, you have to be careful. I appreciate there's uh, people. You can have different perspectives on that, but but for me, from the moment I set my eyes on it, I thought it was going to be a farce. It ended that way. It ended seeming farcical. You know, it's not a nice thing to know that rather than begin beginning or allowing a family to begin to grieve this loss, and rather than honor the the memory of this child and in the best way possible that rather the, 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 the child that passed and that tragedy was, was, was displayed in that way all because these folks thought that there was some divine commission and then it didn't happen and, you know it kind of opens the church to all kinds of ridicule and I don't think that was something that was consistent with a, cl- a, pr- a proper reading of the scriptures I don't think that's what you get from Apart from misunderstanding, I don't think that's what you get from the book of Acts. You certainly don't get a promise, do you, in the scriptures that God just raises everyone from the dead. No, many people pass away. And you don't get a, uh, you know, it's, it's not like when Dorcas is raised from the dead, Peter calls for a three, four day vigil. You can see the authority. There's something unique about this. Jesus Christ has chosen in his own sovereign will to raise this child from the dead. So that church didn't have to, 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 to embark on, on such a dispiriting and um, a, a basically a sad turn of events. I don't think if they had been more careful with the reading of, of scripture, right? Now, of course, we, but, but we have to believe, don't get me wrong, in a God that raises the dead. We believe in a God who heals our diseases. But you realize that Aeneas... And I'm happy for him because I don't know what it's like to have been bedridden for eight years. And for, for Christ, for Peter to have, for, for, for God to have used Peter to give him strength again, we rejoice. And what a great testimony. But eventually, he had to be, he would be ridden to his bed again. And hopefully, die in his bed. He must, I hope, I hope he died in his bed. He died at some point. He was ridden to something. Dorcas, this wonderful lady, right? Dorcas is a wonderful lady too. But this wonderful lady who was uh, spoken of in glowing terms by the, the church, right? She was full of acts of, of good works and acts of charity. That's the life of Jesus, by the way, friends, as well. For that to be said of us, we're full of good works, known for caring, known for sharing. The, the people, she was, assume, it appears that she was a wealthy woman. Um, but with her wealth, she, 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 she gave and gave and gave and helped and blessed. You know, God forbid that you come, to, you know, God blesses you with material wealth. By the time you come to the end of your journey in this world, there's no one to, to weep because you've helped them. God forbid that all it is is other rich people surrounding you, a few rich people that you made to be friends. No one whose lives you had changed because you were sacrificial with your wealth. That's how she used her wealth. And um, 
Peter comes to restore her to life. And, we, and you, I cannot imagine the, the rejoicing. I cannot imagine what it was like in that day. The Bible says many people believed in the Lord after this. But you know, Dorcas had to go back to the grave. She didn't overcome death in that instance. She still had to die again. The amazing thing about Dorcas for me is neither did her wealth stop her from dying. Not the first time or the second time. Her wealth couldn't stop her. But neither could her good works. Right? So wealth is one thing. Yeah, we say you can't take your, your wealth with you to the grave. But you can't take your good works with you. Your good works can't deliver you from the grave. Not the first time. Even though she was of such a great help to so many people. People speak like that sometimes. I know I'm not going to die because, you know, I'm, I know I have a purpose in this life to help so many people. Dorcas died. And you know how heart-wrenching it was. Her good works couldn't stop her from dying the first time. Her good works didn't stop her from dying the second time. So this could not have been the ultimate purpose of these healings. They're calling us though, and this is something we must believe if we're claiming to be Christians, to believe that one day Jesus Christ would usher us into a fullness of salvation that includes the very resurrection of our physical bodies. The salvation of Jesus. So much so that God decided in this point of history, and I'm not saying God can't, God can do what he wants, but at this point, God decided to allow his church to taste something of the world to come, to taste something of eternal life. And Peter, Luke recounts this story, and he's saying, did you know that there was even a time in the church when they got to see with their physical eyes something of the assurance that Christians can have that one day they can overcome and they will overcome death. And if we are Christians, we have to believe that, don't we? The salvation of Jesus, it's full, it's absolute. He will save us from sin. He will save us from disease. Save us from death. One day, we will live again. The grave is not our final destination. Christ will give us new bodies, fresh minds that are free from all the debilitating effects of sin, free from breakdowns, free from pain, free from decay. And we will see in our physical bodies, we will see those of God's people who leave before us, who leave after us, we'll see them in our physical bodies. And so we don't weep like those who have no hope because Jesus Christ promises us a full salvation, a resurrection to eternal life. And if we don't have a hope in Jesus Christ, if we don't have a hope in God who raises men and women from the dead, it is the most miserable thing to be here tonight and calling yourself a Christian. That's what Paul says. The only reason why it's sensible to call yourself a Christian and to follow Jesus is because you believe that one day 
He will raise us from the dead. And we will be with him forever in glory. And with our very eyes, we will see death defeated. Right? When, when, we, when I saw the, the tragedy in the United States this week, and so, it's so tragic, tra tragic, you don't want to retell the happenings, right? But I could see something of how fierce death is. It's just because we don't believe God's word. But look at death. Such a horrible, terrible thing. The Bible uses images like a dragon to describe its fierceness. But we proclaim the salvation. This is what happens in the early church. God uses Peter to be an instrument of this symbolic miracle that will then remind the church that they must proclaim everywhere they go. Jesus saves, and he saves from death, and he saves from hell. Glory be to his name, right? It's so that they could tell the world around them, come and see our Jesus. Don't, never mind the caricatures, never mind the criticism, never mind the slandering. Just come and see this wonderful Jesus. He has power over life and death. Come and see this wonderful Jesus. He can resurrect us from the grave. Come and see this wonderful Jesus. He will give us a hope that lasts forevermore. And brothers and sisters, it's because we believe in this Jesus that we can call women, men and women to trust him. Because Jesus offers a full salvation, salvation of the soul, and the body. It's because he does that that we say call on him. Call on Jesus. And I say to you tonight, whether you've done it before, wherever you are, I say to you tonight, because Jesus is here and he's with us. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your hopes are for the future. Doesn't matter what you're afraid of tonight. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what you think you've accomplished. It doesn't matter what you think you failed at. It doesn't matter what you regret. It doesn't matter what you're boasting in. I'm saying to you tonight, call on Jesus Christ and be saved. Amen. Well, let's sing in closing.